ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Welcome to another episode of the Top 8 Magic Podcast. I'm Brian David Marshall, and it is my pleasure to be joined by Magic the Gathering Hall of Famer, Zvim Oshowitz. Zvim, how are you doing? Very well, very well. Still, still holding fast in uh, rural New York? Yeah, still hold up in, in Warwick, New York, uh, making my way out in the world a little bit more. You know, occasionally going to the grocery store now, you know, go to the lake. Uh, the world exists, and, and it's a nice place, and, and we can occasionally take a drive somewhere. And uh, I look forward to my triumphant return to the city sometime early next year, hopefully. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's weird. This is probably the longest stretch in my life since I was 12 without being in Manhattan. Wow. And very rarely have I lived in Manhattan, right? You know, it's just such a fixture of my either work life or my social life or, you know, my hobbies, you know, that, um, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I just, I haven't been since probably like March 1st. That's, that's insane. It's like a third of a year. Yeah, that is a very long time to not be present. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very strange. But magic has gone on. Magic has happened. There have been players' tours, players' tours' finals, uh, all sorts of online events. Uh, what, what did you think of the, the players' tour finals um, sort of leading up to the top eight so far. I mean, pretty frustrating to not have Wilderness Reclamation banned before that event, it felt like. So I, or, I or have, at the time, anyway. So I, I have a history of crying wolf about things needing to be banned. <laughs> but the wolf ratio when I do cry wolf is really high, right? It's not 100%. Sometimes it turns out that it wasn't a wolf. It was just the dog or it was, you know, a big rustling in the woods. But more often than not, it's a wolf. In, in, in my experience. And I cried wolf pretty hard uh, this time. And, and what I don't understand about this weekend is why, right? It was just so preventable. It was so knowable. There are a number of tournaments in the past where, yeah, you suspected there was a best deck and you suspected you knew more or less what it was, but you didn't know. And we hadn't done it before. And so now you have a chance to see how the mirror works and see what innovations people can come up with and see what cool things people can do. And it's almost never that bad to do that once. Like, I don't think it's that bad that we had an Oko Pro Tour. Right. Right. Like, one time. I didn't consider it that bad to have a Fires Pro Tour as a possibility or a Lake of the Dead or, you know, Field of the Dead uh, tournament one time. We, we, we had a Lake of the Dead Pro Tour, too. Oh, I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't able to go, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, it was just a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's... The problem is not there is a best deck and a lot of people are going to play it. The problem is there is a best deck. A lot of people are going to play it. Everybody knows. We've done this before. And now pro after pro just announces a week before the tournament they've given up and they can't beat it with anything reasonable. They're just giving up. Right? You see Brad Nelson, the best standard player of all time, just saying, 
oh, please, for the love of God, let me find anything but isn't wilderness reclamation that I can reasonably play. And concluding he doesn't have to, does it, and you know, just despairing. And he was not alone, right? Of no. that, that 50%, roughly, right, who played to Merak, right? Like, there's a lot of people in there who are the type that say, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to face this mirror that people like Autumn have been playing for months and know inside and out. I want to play something else, but I don't know what else to play. I give up. There was a lot of that. And basically, I think that when people are giving up, when lots of people are giving up, something is wrong. When the tournament has happened, you know, we already played this tournament last time. We're playing it again. Why are we playing this again? You know, and... and I suppose that the explanations are, well, you know, we didn't know that the new set didn't shake things up. The ladder looked fine. You know, when I played my last 10 matches on Magic on, on Magic Arena in in Platinum, I think I faced, you know, at most two Wilderness Reclamation decks. It might have been one. Right? Like, it's a lot of aggro, a lot of variety compared to what you'd often see. So, in some sense, it looks healthy, but you look at the results of the other online tournaments, you talk to any pros, everyone was very open. No, Reclamation is just the best deck. And my M21 review was very stark. It said, this set changes nothing. Right. Right? right. It's, it's, I love the set. Thank you for making the set. Don't pretend you changed anything. Right? That's kind of the point. So, put Wilderness Reclamation, you know, you have a graph where you put, put all the broken cards that have been printed in standard last year and the, the you know, the, the vertical axis is, is how broken they are. How far apart are Wilderness Reclamation and Fires of Invention. I'm not even sure which one's higher on the list. Right? I think Wilderness Reclamation is probably higher on the list. Uh, when they banned Fires, their explanation was it was largely because it was constraining future card design. And I don't think that's a bad reason to ban something. Right? If, if there are 10 cool cards you want to make and you have to ban one existing cool card to make those 10 possible, maybe it's worth it. Right? Like, you made a mistake. It's okay to admit you made a mistake without it being 40% of the field. There are other ways There are other ways to be not optimal, and there are reasons to fix it. So I think it was the right move to ban it. The Luka deck was absurd in various ways as well, but, you know, Fires was not obviously less stupid than Wilderness Reclamation, I would certainly say. <laughs> Fires has been around for a long time. It's been involved in a lot of relatively fair or relatively balanced decks. Uh, the Luka deck, Yorian was a large reason why that deck was dumb. Luka was also a large portion of the reason why the deck was dumb. Luka is this weird card that's like, was my number one card in the set. It's supremely powerful, but it's completely the wrong color. Like, <laughs> why is Luka red? Nobody wants to play red. Right? Like, I, there are all these builds that have essentially no red cards that aren't Luka, and this RR3 card that wins the game. Because red just doesn't generate tokens that you actually want to generate. It doesn't generate manipulation that you actually let you find what you need. It doesn't have any of the kill creatures you want. It's just you have to play it because that's what that, that's where the Luka is. Uh, and Fires gave those decks just that little extra push. But I don't know if you remember this, but I think there was a Lishi Tian, one of the major pros who who often makes very innovative bold decisions played Luka without the fires in it. I don't, know I don't remember that. Yeah, that happened a few times. Like a few people just decided, you know what? 
maybe Fires isn't even good in this deck. And I think that they had they had an argument that while Fires is very good, that deck has a lot of air. Right? That deck had a lot of air. It had Fires and a ton of mana sources and a ton of cards that do nothing but generate a few tokens, effectively. Right. And so what would happen would be if you could deal with the key cards in the deck, trade off against them without just losing the game automatically, which is what most decks did, then you could just strand the Luka deck with nothing to do. Right? You had to overcome the extra Yorian, but that that was something many decks could overcome. You could just strand them. And so this was a way to defend against that at the expense of your most impressive starts and sequences. Yeah. I, I want to, by the way, just going back to your wolf ratio thing, it's not like you were complaining about Wilderness Reclamation just recently. You you called Wilderness Reclamation from previous season as being a, a, just a problem card. Yeah, it's one of those cases where you ask yourself, was that a, how good a wolf call was the wolf call when I said this card is stupid when I saw it on the spoiler list? Right? Because for a long time, it was part of decks that were highly overrated, in my opinion. I think Wilderness Reclamation spent a year effectively, trapping players who really wanted it to be good into playing a bad deck over and over again. A deck that was actually tier two. What, how does that phenomenon happen, right? Because we see this all the time, where there's cards that are obviously very powerful, but the, just the synergy hasn't developed, or maybe some cards around them need to get banned, or who knows what happens. But it takes a year, and then suddenly that card is the most dominant card and the most oppressive card, and the card that makes you want to not play Magic all of a sudden. So, so one of the things that really good deck builders have as their secret that people don't really understand is that they are secretly in the background spending half their time trying to make things happen that just don't want to happen. That, where the cards just aren't there. And the reason this is good is because it teaches them what the tools that they have can do. What are the missing pieces? How close is this thing to working? And then they understand what would be necessary. Like, what makes these decks tick? How to exactly balance the two ofs, the three ofs, the little details, the mana bases. And these Reclamation players put in that year of taking this deck that should have been, you know, by all rights, a 40% deck, and just tuning it to an inch of its life to get to 47. Right? It wasn't good enough. You know, you still lost to the Okos, you still lost to the Fires, you still weren't quite good enough. But they knew exactly how the deck flowed, how the deck was built, what ratios of cards the deck could survive and not survive. And then, when the pieces fell into place and the deck actually became the best deck, it was ready. And other decks that might have builds that maybe even could compete with Wilderness Reclamation much better, like they don't know what that build looks like yet. Because they haven't had that level of experience, right? Like you can't to look back on my career, right? You have a bunch of decks. Like Turboland is the best example of that. The reason why I was able to show up at a Grand Prix and win that Grand Prix was because I had showed up at five other Grand Prix and not won them in years past. Because I knew what made all of the cards in that strategy tick, right? Long before it was actually any good. Because I just loved it so much. Back when I was playing Glacial Chasms and trying to grind out Thought and Glaciers. And every step of the way in between. You know, when Autumn Burchett 
said, I think I found the answer. I'm going to do Unlikely Alliance. And now I can beat Oko. That tournament did not work out well for them. Yeah. <laughs> but they learned a lot. Right. Yeah. And that paid off now. Right. That experience allows them to dominate the Star City circuit in the middle of 2020. Right. Right. So let's talk about. Uh, so that all of that said, um, there was still some opportunity for deck designers to shine even in this wilderness reclamation uh, metagame. And, and I, I think that the, the deck that, you know, a handful of people brought to the table, specifically the version that like Ben White's and Christoph Prinz are playing in the top eight this coming weekend, is, is really kind of sweet given the constraints of, you know, here's this broken card that maybe shouldn't be around. And this is the four color reclamation deck, you know, that's basically like, oh, what's the best card against reclamation? Teferi Time Raveler. Ooh, all right, let's play that. <laughs> there have been four color reclamation builds around for a while. The mana looks atrocious, right? You have to play at least you have to play one of each one of each of four basic lands. You have this double red, double blue spell at the heart of one of one half of your strategy. Right. Uh, and then suddenly you're trying to stick this white card on turn three. And the Teferis don't really solve that many of your problems outside of the mirror necessarily, as far as I can tell. But it turns out that shooting the deck into just a pile of good stuff, right? And you you look at this deck and like only three expansions, right? It would have been unheard of to me to cut an expansion explosion in the previous version of the deck. But the biggest right. problem with the old version was you could only play four expansion explosions. And so even when you got your thing going, often you'd cast your first explosion and then you just have nothing. And the biggest mistake players made was they'd explosion for five when they should have explosion for nine to try and <laughs> save mana and keep things up and not realizing there's actually a pretty good chance you don't draw explosion number two here. If you don't draw explosion number two here, those cards aren't going to matter very much. Right? right, you only have so many cantrips, it's not necessarily going to work out for you. And now they're saying, Well, you know what? I'm going to play some Uros and a Kenrith and some Shark Typhoons, and you know, just it, general, generally play good magic. The, right? the Kenrith just, is, uh, a, is a filthy little card, uh, in this deck, right? I mean, it just buys you so much time if you're with the Wilderness Reclamation. Yeah, the Kenrith and, of course, the Shark Typhoon and the, and the Uro is just sort of the extra saying of, I am going to be able to play real magic, which the old version couldn't do. And right. that's the big difference, right? These decks can now have a plan B and a plan C and go about doing them while doing everything else, and they can randomly win off a Kenrith. They can just take control of a game for Teferi. They can play the way it normally goes. I'm still skeptical of cutting the fourth expansion. <laughs> expansion is such a good card. And right. it's so much better when you have three more expansions to find afterwards or when you're not afraid to blow the first one, right? Because you've got this copy something little trick you can often do to try literally counter war, copy a neat, neat little effect, do something cool. If only three copies, I'd be really worried that I just don't have that much of a trend, right? I'm much more interested in sort of the autumn version of three bullet reclamation. The, the approach of... I 
I don't need voter proclamation to win. And by the way, I sideboard two of these out in the mirror, maybe three on the draw. Half the field is mirrors. Why am I playing four? Right, that just makes a lot of sense to me. Right? If, if you never have four in after, the, after board, is it that amazing a card? Right, because this deck is just mostly just a deck at this point. It's no longer this Reclamation or Bosch combo deck, which is, is why it's good. Now, what do you what do you think about uh, who do you like? Obviously, we we won't know the bracket until Friday. They're going to draw the bracket on Friday. But who who do you like um, in the top eight? You know, would you pick one of the two team of rec players or one of the two four color players? So I definitely think that the four color reclamation deck was the better choice for this tournament, based on all of the results, like. Two of them made the top eight. The conversion rate was in the 70s to day two. It was insane. Yeah. Like, there's no denying that there might have been a better rogue choice that turned out to just be able to prey on this field. It's very hard to know because the numbers are so you know condensed like this small sample size problems, right? We won't ever, necessarily ever know. Right. What we do know is that regular recommendation was a good choice. Four-color recommendation was a great choice. And so... The obvious answer is that, you know, Whites and Prince are in a great position here to make this happen. And then, you know, you have the surprisingly numerous non-reclamation players. I, I was just going to say, you have, then you have the four wild cards. Yeah, if anything, like, so from a, from a viewer's perspective, from a fan's perspective, and from, like, just the, I want this to be entertaining and healthy and interesting, it's great to see just these four different alternate strategies breaking through here to the top eight, getting their chance to knock this off. And you have this selection effect, right? Where if everybody brings an anti-reclamation deck, but most of them are, as they usually are in situations, wrong and actually don't beat reclamation, or they beat reclamation, but only the reclamation players who aren't very good at playing reclamation. (laughs) You'll see this phenomenon a lot where you'll bring a rogue deck and most players who look at your list, who see you play, won't understand what's going on just from seeing your list, just from seeing you play game one and the board bad and the play bad. And you've done this matchup to death. You know exactly what to do and you just take control. And then it's round 10, round 11, one, 12 of the pro tour. And suddenly you're facing Josh Hunter Layton followed by Seth Manfield, followed by Pascal Menard. And they take one look at like, Oh, that's what you're doing. Good luck. <laughs> and so, I definitely had that happen to me. So let's talk. Let's talk about the the the, the rogue lists that that did survive. Michael Jacob, someone who's no stranger to high level magic and and no stranger to navigating a gauntlet like you described and and coming out cleanly on top of it, uh, playing the the Mardu Winota deck. So nobody wishes the finals was last Sunday more than Michael Jacob. <laughs> Okay. Why, why is that? I think because I this list is so cool, so different, does a number of counterintuitive things. Like, it's playing Basri's Lieutenant. Playing right? like Pet Reaver, yeah, everything. I have to deduct points from my review that Basri's Lieutenant is now a four of in a top eight deck. Right? <laughs> I did not see this coming. Like, 
this list is full of sixes and fives on the one to ten scale. <laughs> right? Like just cards you don't cards that people thought were good, but turned out not to be good, cards that were never good, but are good in this specific situation. You know, there's a lot going on here. It's also just random cards that don't seem like they belong, but are just like, here's a reasonable card. I can play here, it does some things. Like, why not play a Tajik? What's the worst that could happen? It's kind of neat. Right? Because it's cool. I, this deck is so cool. And if you're in the middle of a tournament and you've just spent the last three hours grinding sharp typhoons and wilderness reclamations and expansion explosions and playing counterspell wars, and suddenly being attacked by Judiths and selfless saviors, <laughs> your brain is just not prepared, has no idea what's happening. Right. And I'm guessing Michael got at least one win off of just the, the element of surprise, right? The, the rogueness of what he was doing. Quite possibly more, right? And now he's facing players, let's face it, these four Reclamation players, they're not testing the mirror this week. No. They might be testing like, oh, this look, this one card was a little different than I thought. Maybe I should play a few games to get a better, slightly better feel. But they know what those matches are like. What they're doing is looking at this list. They're trying to figure out, you know, what do I have to do on turn two? What do I have to do on turn three? How, how likely is it that, that I will die if I expose myself to, you know, Winota in this exact spot? You know, what, what is dangerous? What is not? How do I use my removal? You know, what is it representing when he does this with his lands? And just all these little details. They are ready for Michael now. Right? So basically, seven players have called up a friend and said, I need you to use some wild cards. <laughs> I need to play test against this deck. Unless someone has everything, right? <laughs> I actually look at the list. I'm like, how close am I to building this? Pretty close. I think I might just have it. Because, like, we all have all the lands, right, at this point. So the lands are cool. Right. And so it's just a bunch of these weird creatures. But, like, you know, uncommons don't count. So, like, selfless. Like, a lot of this, a lot of these weird cards aren't rare. So, like, you just have those. So it's a matter of, like, do you have four bastards lieutenants? Because there's no reason you should have four bastards lieutenants unless you just have the whole set. And let's face it, N21 draft just wasn't that deep. Like, it was fun, but it wasn't that deep. There's no reason yeah. to have four of everything. So you probably have to burn on that. But one Tajik, you probably just randomly have drafting. And Judith... Reasonable, there are some reasonable reasons to have Judah flying around, and that set was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I, I think it's actually pretty, pretty not painful to build this, and you can have your friend play it. And yeah, you play, you play, you play ten matches, and you have a pretty good idea what's going on, and it's going to be much rougher. How, how are you attacking this deck if you're uh, one of the team owner players, or or even the four color players? Like, what what do you? What do you feel like you think, you know, just from looking at it from a, a, an aerial view, what do you think the best plan of attack is once you know what this deck is trying to do? So the, the key to beating a Winota deck in general is to understand when you can and cannot beat Winota. Right? Can you, if they have Winota, are you just dead? Because they're going to get a lot of triggers off and there's really nothing you can do. Or can you actually beat Winota? And then understanding what it takes to beat their normal draws. So, like, there's an attempt to build a weird plan B, which is, like, removal-resistant in various ways in this deck, to build up a bunch of counters, just assemble a bunch of power kind of the hard way, and to understand how much you can sacrifice to play around Winona without just losing to just a bunch of stuff. Right? And, and those are the types of questions that I'm always trying to figure out when I'm playing against Winona just on the ladder, 
or something like that, right? Can do I? How often do I actually have to hold up this ram to make sure I don't get got by Winona? Because I don't want to do that and lose to not Winona. That's a disaster. Yeah. It's also there's a question of how the hell is this guy sideboarding against me? Right? <laughs> do you have any idea? I don't know. I actually don't know which of these cards are coming in and out. Right? I I, I don't pretend. I know it's not devout decree. I know it's not. You know, I, I can narrow it down. There's a lot of really weird stuff in this list, right? And Legion of War Boss is always is always a solid choice. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious why it's not main and why there's only two of them, right? Because Legion of War Boss was always to me the star of Winota decks, right? Because they're playing a deck that can it's in danger of just not doing anything, of just not having much going on, and you can just kill people with Legion of War Boss slash force them to move. You right. play Legion War Boss, they have to do something, then you stick Winona. And the token's still there, you get two or you get one or two triggers, you're off to the races. I always loved it. And instead we're playing a lot of very interesting choices, right? The question is why. Right. Um, yeah. but yeah, I would never have thought that these humans could get it done, right? This is a this is a this is a um, plucky band of humans here compared to the band of humans we were used to. Uh, last time we saw Winota. So. All right. So Riku Kumagai, he's on mono black aggro, which seems pretty self-explanatory. Uh, three duress, a uh, couple heartless act, four heartless acts, but then it's just all creatures, right? 25 yeah. lands, and then it's like a murderous rider, four knight of the Ebon Legion, gutter bones, rankle, black lands paragon, Timoret, spawn of mayhem, which has uh, been a, a powerhouse. Hunted Nightmare. You gotta love the commitment to four hunted nightmares, right? I am yeah. four five. Storm's Wrath this. <laughs> <laughs> I am just big enough. You can't block me because I have menace. Your, you know, your, your Titan doesn't matter. Right. I am just going to kill you. And, and not, uh, interestingly, no Regisaur, which is a card we've seen in a lot of these mono black aggro decks. Yes, and when I see I'm just going to kill you, because we just sort of trades with Titans, right? right? Uro can actually block it. So it's not the cure-all that it was before, and it also opens you up. It makes you vulnerable. Because when you play a Regisaur, right, now you're discarding a card every turn, they start using Brazen Borrower on it, they start chump-blocking it with 1-1 one, one Sharks, they just buy themselves a little time, you can be two, three cards in the hole really fast, and you just don't have anything, right? You just want to keep the stuff coming. So right. it's an interesting choice. I'm still pretty surprised it's not in the 75, but there are a lot of things this deck is trying to do. Uh, I'm also surprised by Grasp of Darkness as the plan for creatures. Like, I found, in my experience, Murderous Writer and actually... Vampire of the Dire Moon to be, Where? which he doesn't have, to oh. be better at that. I mean, it's not going to be the, the most important thing in this top eight, shall we say? Because, you know, there's only one, there aren't really, there isn't really another real aggro deck to play against. But, you know, sort of, I was always, oh, I have a lot of very powerful black creatures in my deck already. What I need to do is just be very, very mana efficient at making sure I don't fall behind and that I can pick off things and just be able to grind this out. And also, just Murderous Rider is an amazing magic card. Yeah. But, 
this list looks like it's got everything it needs for the purposes that it set out uh, to accomplish. Uh, the fourth arrest being nowhere is interesting. Uh, I'm, that definitely surprises me because the difference between one mana and two mana for this list seems pretty big. Like you, you will often not be able to spare that two mana without taking your entire second turn off or a future turn off, which is not what you want to do. Um, but yeah, no, you gotta love it. Uh, two Timorats, that's really cool. Like just, you know, no bringing that, no, no more six sixes on the board. Yeah, yeah, no, good just not letting this happen. We're just not letting this happen. Yeah, yeah. this card, this deck, this deck looks looks. All, I haven't I haven't played with this one at all yet, but uh, I, I'm probably gonna fire fire up. Uh, a, you know, if I get can get a black achievement uh, on my arena dailies, I, I'll, I'll certainly have this one in the in the holster. Yeah, I've always thought that black was the natural thing to do if you just wanted to beat reclamation, not white. Like there were some players more like more vocally. Who came in with mono white? But like you look at the mono white list, you see the mono white deck play, and it's just you ever remember like those old tournaments where it was vintage, but like half the field just didn't own the cards, and they were just playing a different format entirely, but trying to find out something that matched up well. So like you know I have gorilla shamans, and you have moxes. Let's see what happens. So it just felt like. I know what my target is. I'm going to play this these these cards that are just you know like we talked about the Mario deck having a bunch of sixes and sevens in it, yeah maybe even some fives. The white deck has like some threes, right? Like and just the white deck is atrocious. It has like it has a lot of cards with one power, so it's kind of limited. Power. The black deck's playing good men. I mean the black deck plays good magic. It it, it has very powerful creatures. It can legitimately just win a slugfest. And I'm always into winning slugfests when I'm playing these types of decks. So, yeah, you can legitimately do the control role in certain aggro matchups, stuff like that. So yeah, I I like this list. Um, I certainly hope he does well. We'll have to see. Uh, so that leaves two more lists. I, now we come I'm a, to. I'm a big Christopher Larson fan. I, I like watching Christopher play Magic. I like talking to Christopher, and uh, he he's the one Jun sacrifice player in this top eight. And, you know, this, this has been the deck that's just kind of been like in Wilderness Reclamation shadow a little bit throughout all of this uh, wave of exhaustion over standard. This, this might be the deck I'm more exhausted playing against than Wilderness Reclamation. Playing against Wilderness Reclamation, I always enjoy it. When I'm not just doing it every single time and when I'm not in a major tournament, I'm not doing it every single time. So I think it's fine. It's interesting. There's a lot of interesting things going on. You can sort of map exactly what might happen to you, what exactly they're capable of. You can close off lines from them. It's very interesting. Playing against Joan Sacrifice, it often feels like, oh, God, this again. And then, you know, you're five minutes later, it's your turn. And, you know, other games are like, I can't believe I'm losing this stupid cat in this stupid oven again. Why am I wasting my life on this game? I need to quit. And, you know, just start start an online sales platform or something. I don't know. It's just, this is, you know, why am I, I could be doing something else right now. It's just, the games are so bad as experiences if you've done it so many times. Like, it's cool the first 10 times, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, no, we've seen this list. There is, as far as I can tell, absolutely nothing new here. It is the tried and true, right? That yeah, is, I mean, Sol Solemn Simulacrum is, is, a, is a recent addition. Um, 
I, I will continue to shake my fist and say this card is not good. What are you doing? <laughs> right? All you've done is take your 48% deck and made it 47% by playing this bad card. It's like, I understand you want to accelerate to Boas' Citadel, but you're only playing two of them. And, and He's playing three, actually. He's one on the board. It's two of the main one on the board. Oh, the Bolas is Citadel. I'm sorry, I thought you meant Solemn Solemn Simulacrum. No, no, no. There's three Solemn Simulacrums. I can't imagine. Can you imagine drawing two Solemn Simulacrums? Like, can you imagine they play Wilderness Proclamation on four mana, and you play Solemn Simulacrum, right? So you go up one mana, and they go up four, then five, then six. Um, it's it's, it's a two-two. These days, you can just ignore a two-two. Like, play Migration Path if you want more mana. I I don't know. It's definitely. People play Solomon Simulacrum and sort of your just heart just sinks in your chest because everything about your life just got worse. Like just every 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 single axis of this game just slowly tilts in their favor. But that's just not where you want to be these days, right? You want to just seize the moment. You want to go in there and get it. And I just don't think this card does the things that this deck doesn't do otherwise. So I just continue to be deeply skeptical, but the players keep playing it. Um... You know, I've sort of stopped believing in efficient markets in many senses. And so I, I can just believe that this card is just wrong. It's just not that painful to play. Right? It right. It's a slightly hurtful in my mind versus playing other cards instead. Like if you had a third bolus, a citadel, and a, a third core evolves, and a mana source instead, maybe it's better. But who knows? Uh, the, the list is very solid. There's nothing, nothing wrong with it other than arguments about the simulacrum. What, uh, what would you do instead of simulacrum? So we're aiming directly at Reclamation in this field. So I ask myself, like, how would I board against Reclamation unless just main those cards, right? Like, probably the third both. I mean, both instead of presumably you want, put the third one in. Um, probably need a mana source, given what we're trying to do at that point. So add one mana source of some kind. And then maybe just main take a discard card out of the board or the center vines or something. I don't know. Like, it's it's hard to say. I, I have never gotten good at the deck. I've definitely played some versions of it, but I've never gotten good at the new version of the deck. Because I'm just so sick of it. And I decided pretty early I thought it was not actually as good as its competition. But it's very high variance, right? Like some games, you play this deck, and it's just, you're you're on cloud nine, you can't lose, you're three cards ahead by turn three, your opponents don't know what hit them, they just die, right? Like you just trigger, 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 please. And other games, you're like, wow, these cards are so clunky and slow when they don't come together. What am I even doing? And I just don't think it has it. But one of them still made it. It still wins matches. As I said, like a 47% deck, you know, occasionally make the top eight. Uh, and how do, you, how do you like the Jund matchup against Rack? I don't think it's good. Right? Like, like everybody, everybody comes in thinking they're okay against him or Rack. In general, they must be wrong. Yes. <laughs> but also, this is a deck that everybody wanted to be good. They were playing a lot of it. If this deck was good against Timurak, it's good against Aggro. Right? Like, there's, it would be pretty popular. Lots of players want it to be good. Lots of players want to be that player. It, it's you, fascinating to me how much of this... I mean, obviously, that's always the case that the, you know, the bracket determines things. But it's got to be a weird playtesting experience this week not being able to know who your first round opponent's going to be and what your bracket's going to look like until the day before your tournament having this week. I mean, obviously you only ever get a day to prepare, but it, it's, it's just kind of like a weird sweat for a week. 
Yeah, it's this weird moment when like your preparations are going to become much more effective and efficient at this exact time. <laughs> but that doesn't leave you enough time to do all the preparations you want. You have to budget. You have to think carefully. There's you know a bunch there's this six different decks in this field. You're playing at most one of them. You have to figure out what your time needs to prioritize. Now, my suggested version of this system of unveiling the bracket is instead of going at random, what they do is they call up, they just call up the one seed and they say, who's your opponent? And he lets them know. And so, and then if one seed picks two seed, three seed would go next? Yeah, just the highest, the highest remaining seed just keeps picking until everyone's paired. And that's it. And the higher seeds can, in fact, use this five-day period to know who they're preparing against and figure out who they want to face. And so, like, you prepare against the one seed if you think the one seed's going to want to face you. But that's your problem to figure out. Right? And then, <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's, a, it's certainly a very dramatic show when you get to, like, actually ask the players who they're going to pick or hold up a sign with who they're going to play or do something, right? It's very, that's, like, a very, like, prototypical esports moment, right? It feels, like, very dramatic. The taunting, right? Like, I can't believe you picked me. You're going to pay for this. <laughs> you know, or, you know, oh, no, I was going to pick that guy. But the one seed took it first, and I'm the two seed, and then it's like, ah, damn it. Yeah, there's so many cool things about it. Whereas picking at random is just, eh, it's fine. Like, I guess they just, they, what they don't want, I assume, is people just be jamming their quarterfinal for the entire week. Right. That's I think they want to preserve that sort of preparation window to some extent. Yeah. One of the things that's been frustrating for me about Modern Magic is that they've made it very difficult effectively because of how information travels and when information is released to do useful preparations, except in a very narrow window before tournaments, right? Everything you do before the last week or two is going to be obsoleted. You still have to do enough of it that you're familiar with the cards and the strategies so that you're ready, right? The same way I talked about doing the background work. But like, you really do have to just block off your life at that time, right? You used to be able to do the work in like a two-month period of preparing for this tournament. And then you can do the first month and then be, kind of be ready and then just not do much the second month. And it was fine. And you can't do that anymore. And I really miss it. Right? Like it's – it feels much better. Also, just you're not nervous anymore. You have plenty of time to get the cards, sit back, relax. So that leaves uh, one last deck. Yeah, Raph Levy's uh, Azorius Control deck. Yorian, Sky Nomad. Speaking of wolf ratios, obviously, yeah. obviously the companions have been um, spayed and neutered uh, somewhat effectively. But you know, we still have you know two of them. I think in our in our top eight here. Yeah, I mean, Gigantha out of the decks that play Gigantha. Out of, yeah, out of Jacob's deck. Out of Jacob's deck. I think if you had a line, will Jagentha be put on the stack during the top eight? Yeah. I don't know which side is favorite. What do you think? What do you think? Will it be put in the I, I think no. I would I would say no. Just because I mean it's just on right, it's not that likely that you, you even right. get that far out of the out of the out of the gate. Right, it's just so expensive to pay three and then five for what is mostly a five-five vanilla creature. 
Right. right. Tapping for mana in this deck is not especially useful. So yeah, if there's nothing better to do, you do it. And it's not like it never wins you a game. Right. But yeah, the deck probably wouldn't change more than one or two cards if you just banned the companion mechanic. It, it, right. It's, it's a relatively free action for him to Right. It's very different from Levy. Right. Levy's playing an 80 card deck. Right. right. Levy's also got two Yorians in the main. Levy loves the Yorian. And, and a fourth Yorian in the board. Oh, no, that's the third Yorian. That's, that's the third Yorian. That's the companion. No, the the yeah. two Yorians in the sideboard would be like a show, pretty big show of strength. That would be right. pretty cool. <laughs> and it's not obvious to me how many Yorians should be in the main. Like, it, it's definitely at least one. You know, the second one is aggressive. Maybe the third, I don't know. This but would certainly be 35 land would certainly be the most lands to ever win a pro tour, right? I don't think Jensen ever made Battle of Wills work. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got a top eight at a Grand Prix, but that's different from what he Yeah, got yeah. Up. No, I mean, like, he has to, I'm saying if, like, if Raph won this, it would be 35 lands is, I think, the, the clear uh, winner for most lands in a deck. Obviously, it's an 80-card deck. And but... 80 cards is that, too. Oh, yeah, that, that as well. Finally, Michael Lacanto will be trumped. <laughs> oh, that was so embarrassing. Like, just will forever be somewhat embarrassed. And then it's, you know, anything can happen in one tournament, single limb. Yeah. You know, it's, anything can happen. You know, a lot of bad players were at that tournament. So just playing the deck reasonably was so... I mean, ma Magic was a completely different animal yeah. at that point. It was just completely different. It, it was, we, we didn't even have, there was no consensus back to best deck coming into Pro Tour 1. Yeah. And nobody, was, nobody, you know, and like, Necro came out of that tournament and became like the default best deck, but it was a it was a surprise within the context of that tournament. To some people, yeah. To the, to the person who was playing Necro that weekend, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> of course, but yeah. So yeah, like, so like I played a bunch in standard with uh, this deck uh, since they've been messing, around, you know, Levy's been messing around with it. I was looking for something to clear some quests slash, you know, see what I could do in standard. There's not much reclamation on the ladder. I didn't really want to play reclamation, but that's good. Uh, yeah. This list, this list, the way it's assembled to me feels very intentionally soft to aggro on the theory that you're not going to play against it very often. So game one, you're soft to it, whatever, who cares? Right? Yeah. Just, it's not there. That's not have to be. It's going to be trying to be very prepared. So the odds makers made Levy the underdog, the least likely of the eight to win, despite Levy being clearly not the worst player, right? Levy's a very, very good player. Has a oh, sure. great results. So, you know, I think I agree with them, just to be completely straightforward. Uh, when I played this against Reclamation, it did not feel good. Like, it felt like I'm running a lot of cards. Their cards are just on a higher level. Than mine, I, I don't like my chances. It's, there are only four of each of these key cards, and I have eighty cards in my deck. Who, who did the so, odds makers have as the uh, as the number one? They have it pretty spread out. There's no clear favorite. It's just sort of you can get Levy is the one you can get more than seven to one on, right? You can you can get like if you think Levy is 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 equally everyone's equally likely, you can bet on Levy. And I, could, I, yeah. I think my bet would be Alan Wu. I'm Pro Tour champion here this weekend. Yeah, why, why woo? Uh, you know, I feel like 
the the four color rec deck has just a little less room to wiggle room to get its to have its bad draw it's it's clumsy land it's you know the the sequencing to be off this deck's just a little cleaner i think this is the kind of deck that and and the kind of like technical player that alan Wu is um that he's just going to be able to uh you know play the right balance of just going to be able to just figure out what he needs to do in, in, in this very clean way and, and, and has the cleanest list and has a, has a couple of different uh, answers in his list, you know, a couple of different ways to go. You know, he's got the night pack ambushers, he's got the Uros, he's got the shark typhoons, but, you know, still just has that classic four expansion explosion, wilderness reclamation wins in here. Yeah. And while I respect that perspective, certainly uh, I'm going to go with Kristoff Prince. Oh yeah. Right yeah. Okay. I think uh, you know, this was a dominant performance. This is a, by, by both the player and in general by the deck. And the, no one plays this list and performs like that without knowing their deck inside and out, knowing exactly what they need to do. Um, was very impressed during the stream. And you know, if I had to pick two, I'd take Benjamin White's. <laughs> you, you really like this four-color list. I think the results speak for themselves. It's it's not that one of the... It's not that... Like if there's if there's a deck that like the mono black aggro or the Winota deck, right? Either Michael Jacob or or Riku Kumagi Kumagai, could in fact have a favorable match against Reclamation decks. It it wouldn't shock me, but we won't know. I know these decks are the real deal. These four color Reclamation decks, like we know. Oh, and, I, and, I, I I I'm not I'm not I'm not dismissing them as I I just feel like. In a in a top eight single elimination, um, you you there's just no there's no room for uh, a stumble on mana. In a, you know the the Swiss is a little bit more forgiving of those hiccups, and I I think that this deck might be a little more just a little more prone to it under under those circumstances. I don't know. So I I have been preaching for decades the idea that the format of the tournament changes nothing. Right? Like, you're either higher or lower win percentage than the other deck. Do what you gotta do. Like, it's only when you have uncertainty about the field, uncertainty about the quality of the deck or your quality of play, and therefore uncertainty about the win percentage, that it makes sense to hedge your bets. So, like, one of the classic situations was if you went into the World Championships on day three, back when it was a three-day event, you chose a different deck each day. So you were choosing a deck, often for Block Constructed, and some players, like, I need to be 6-0 in order to make the top eight, or I need to 6-0 or 5-1 in order to requalify or get what I want out of this tournament. Right, Other players right. are like, and then a few players are like, I need a 3-3. Three and three. I need a 4-2. and two. And often they would just play whatever the most generic, popular deck was expected to be without much innovation on the theory that, well, I'm a good player, I'll play well, and it'll, you know, it'll, it'll work out next solve. I'll get my 4-2. and two. And then players who need a 6-0 would do something like, more wild and crazy. And that made sense if you didn't know if your deck was any good, right? If you were like building this deck and hadn't had a chance to test it, like maybe this deck is 70% to win, maybe it's 30. Well, I only want that if I want 6-0 and I don't mind the 6 But if you know, if you know the format, you should do the same thing either way, right? right? And the times when I went into Worlds knowing that second format like the back of my hand, I knew my list before I showed up. Didn't matter. I wasn't going to 
going to change anything. Right? I, it is what it is. The metagame might be a little bit different at the top because you expect other people to do the thing that they shouldn't be doing, and so you might adjust a little bit for that. But that would be it. And the one time that I kind of fell into the trap of playing it a little bit safe, in air quotes, because I was so close that I could taste it, I ended up in that short. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with yeah, three three. I, I, I just, uh, I've also just been so impressed. Every, I mean, obviously, I've always been very impressed watching Ben White's play. I haven't seen, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of, uh, of Christoph Prince play. But uh, Alan has just really just impressed, impressed the heck out of me every time I, I've watched him. And uh, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I have, I have, I'm, I'm going to go with a gut feeling here. And I, yeah, like, yeah. I like Alan Wu. The only thing I'm taking away from Alan Wu is white mana. Like, I have nothing against Alan Wu here, right? I, yeah. I think Alan Wu's a great player. It's just a matter of, you know, I think that the white is, is the right way to be. So I expect it to work out, and we'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. So now, let me uh, let me ask you a different question now. Yeah. Have you played any historic? Yes. Yes, I have. I have switched my ladder play to historic. Actually. Okay. What was your weapon of choice? I know you were you were trying to be as uh, frugal as possible with your wild cards when choosing a deck, but also finding something that you wanted to play. And there's nothing worse than using wild cards on something that will never be used again in any other way that you would eventually get the cards by playing any, over time. So you're just okay. gone. And so I've been very con conscious of these kinds of concerns. I tried goblins during the free weekend, figured out how stupid it was in some sense. But the weapon of choice, I have uh, Gabriel Nassif offered a white blue control list. <laughs> and I have been working from that list. And since then, I have played many more matches of this than he has. <laughs> more time playing with the deck but that doesn't really matter does it <laughs> that's so funny yeah well yeah yeah very funny basically i had to craft the mind stones because i somehow missed that part of the anthology and i had to craft my last two to fairy hero of dominaria but that's the opposite of a scary craft sure that's a craft that you know 10 years from now you're still going to be using and it's a mythic on a set that you probably won't open very many packs of for the rest of time so it's a pretty safe open. Uh, I have to play like one copy of the promotional version with the borderless. So I, I, I got one weird Teferi and the three other Teferis. But that's fine. And I've been modifying the list slightly uh, since I got it. And it's it's been really, really good. Where where do you, where have you ended up? So I, I've been playing the list also. Um, I am I am on the brink of Mythic right now. Yeah, I, I used it to finish off Platinum, and I just made Diamond uh, yeah. this morning. It doesn't... I don't know if I'm planning to make it to Mythic. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a large amount of climbing to do. Uh, oh, yeah, you, yeah. I, I got, I'm not trying to get there. I'm just, like, I'm just sort of crawling in that direction. Yeah, I might make it. I might not. I have been enjoying the games uh, because it is just enjoyable to play a bunch of Planeswalker sometimes. Have you taken two extra turns yet? Oh, that card's gone. Uh, oh. That card's not good. I, I, so. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. So the card we're talking about is Teferi Master of Time. This was in Nassif's list. I, I, I've, I've been calling his uh, deck Asshat Squad because, you know, Teferi's like a real asshat. 
and he's got his yellow hat, and he's and he's yellow hat. Uh, he so he's got all of them. You know, he's got three Teferis in the deck. And uh, Teferi Master of Time has a minus ten. Take two extra turns after this one, and so you get to activate it twice on each turn sequence. If you have Oath of Teferi in play, you get to activate it four times over every turn sequence, which climbs up there pretty quickly. I mean, Oath of Teferi plus Teferi four looks like it's awesome. We get four activations, but it's actually just the same doubling every other Planeswalker gets. Sure. Right. So it's it's good, but it's not particularly better. And what I realized is this, this doesn't actually defend me against aggro. Okay. Doesn't actually pull me that far ahead of control. It does none of those things. I, all I want to do is take two extra turns. You're talking <laughs> to me. Of course, I want to take two extra turns. Two doesn't make enough extra turns. I want more than that. Uh, right? so, it's not quite good enough to get back up, even with the Oath of Deferi, Right? You can you 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 activate it, and then you have two extra turns in which you can activate it. Uh, but you don't get their turn, so you can't actually get it that far back up, right? So you can't hope to just go infinite. So if I'm not infinite, why am I even bothering, right? Like, it's just right. two turns. The, the, Nassif also kind of had a... The people at Nassif's channel kind of had a running, like, this is how many times Nassif has declined to ultimate to ferry four and take two extra turns for no reason anyone can fathom. <laughs> like, probably because it would end the game, but Nassif just wants this to be as, like, long and grindy as possible, and if he wins it more than a minute on his clock, something went wrong. He wins anyway. It's just like, right. what the hell is happening over here? And so I just, I realized quickly, I had this card. It's been in my hand a few times. I never bothered casting it. Because every time I looked at it, I was like, this doesn't do anything. Right? Like, it just helps me deck myself. Like, what? no, I don't need to do that. Like, it's fine. Are you, are, are you playing sideboards or no sideboards? Sideboards, of course. Because, okay. like, you know, it's an abomination under the Lord to, to play without <laughs> sideboards voluntarily. <laughs> Like, I'm still not sure I'm going to play the event just because, like, playing day one without sideboards feels so atrocious. It makes the deck so much worse. Right? Because, like, you have the best sideboard in the format, as far as I can tell. Like, you get to cut the half of your deck that isn't good and reinforce the half of the deck that is good. Right. And the decks you're playing against basically are already doing their thing and don't... Even though you present kind of a target, they don't get to change very much. I just feel so... Like, I feel so good after board. Like, in the... The control build, right? It's like, well, I had the fourth Narsha on the board, and now I cut it because it's not even clear it's good. Right? Like, I mean, it's on the edge. Like, it's it's good, but, like, I have to cut something good somewhere. So where I'm at right now is I've got – I'm thinking of the Omen of the Sea version because I've had a bunch of situations where I didn't really want to phase anything else out or I didn't have anything else I wanted to bounce. I've been pretty happy with the Omens. Now, Steve has yeah. now moved on to playing Accumulated Knowledge. Oh, I mean, that's not what they call it anymore. Yeah, yeah, the new one, yeah. And I don't understand it because, like, this deck just being able to draw more cards by spending more mana slowly is, like, just exactly what the deck does not actually need more of. Yeah, that's never my problem. <laughs> right. Like, only what Omen does is it says, like, I need to find the lands that I need early. I need to find Shadow of the Sky on turn four. It helps me do these things. And then it also just helps my Shark Typhoon generate a lot more sharks. So, like, we all love when Shark Typhoon hits play. It hits play in this deck more than any other deck. I agree. I've, I've, I've played it so many times in this deck. You just look you at know, your deck and you realize, if I play Shark Typhoon here, nothing he does is going to matter because I can just start grinding the game out, and every time I do anything, he's going to get, you know, every mana point generates a point of power in the air. And right. he's just, 
the game's just over if I play Narcotic Toad for six minutes. So I play you, Narcotic you, for six minutes. You also get like Planeswalker flooded sometimes with this deck. And if you have a if you have the uh, Shark Typhoon down, you can actually just play the redundant Planeswalker, get the bonus effect, and also get a shark out of it a lot of the time. Yeah, there's definitely those games of like you're so far ahead you don't know what to do. Like you just what you know, you know you're ninety nine percent to win, but how do you turn ninety nine and nine ninety nine point nine and ninety nine point nine nine? Like what's the actual way they have out of it? You just can't you just don't know. Yeah. And then someday someone's gonna play planar coins in that spot against me and I'm gonna be sad, but uh, no one's tried it yet. Most underplayed card in Historic probably, by the way. Yeah. Is that that nobody I, plays it at all and it almost certainly is awesome? I have uh I've been play, I've been, I've just been playing best of one, just trying a bunch of different decks, and so I I've cut the I cut the Dovin's veto in the version that I had started with, and went to the fourth Shatter the Sky because there was so much goblins and so much, um, of like the token decks and like Soul Sisters type decks. So, I mean, there there are many things I tell players to always play more of, like Lanor Elves, like you know, like more Man Acceleration. More mana sources, but one of the things that I tell people is to always play more of is more rafts. Yeah, right. I I never ever ever understand this. Well, you know, I can get away with two rafts in this deck, or you know, I only really need three rafts in this deck, and the fourth one in the sideboard doesn't really do much. I don't need it. Like you are wrong. You are always wrong. If you have a card like Shadow of the Sky, and you do not have all, access to all four copies, you are insane. If you do not have main deck all four copies right now. I mean, you are being a very, very aggressive person. Yeah. I don't understand, like, playing an Essence Scatter over the four Shadows of the Sky. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. Right. So I'm playing all four Shadows of the Skies in best of three in the main because – and guess what's sitting in the sideboard? Two copies of Time Wipe. Oh, okay. So more, yeah. You, you're taking – you're, you're playing more. But Time, time Wipe is – you it's can't just, do anything – it's just five mana kill all creatures. Okay. Nothing you, no, no creature you put into play will be anything but a token. You will never get anything back that will do anything once you remove it. Right. Like, it will do nothing. But it's five mana wrath. And you only have two colors. This is your next best wrath. I think. I can check. It's possible. Oh, actually, that's a good point. Should this be Cleansing Nova? Yeah, it should just be Cleansing Nova. Cleansing Nova is just better. Right? You know, it's not blue, so you, they can't mystical dispute it. And you might destroy all artifacts and enchantments one day. You never know. You might make a weird deck. So yeah, that's an upgrade. Should be Cleansing Nova. But like, it absolutely should be... You know, it's weird, because like, my brain is almost like, no, play the blue card for Force of Will. Like, no, 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 no. You don't have that. It's fine. But, uh, so yeah, no, my, my list at this point is one Scatter, two Omen of the Sea, one Veto, four Mindstone, three Disputes, three Narsets. Four Teferis, four Shatters, two Elspeth Conqueror's Death, two Oaf of Teferi, four Teferi five, four Shark Typhoon. And for the mana, I've cut the uh, the Blue Castle. Okay. And I think I'm going to go with the four Frogrin Trium instead. It's out of the fifth island. I'm not sure which. So so one of the things that Nassif did in that list was, you know, when you we were looking at the list originally, he had the Triomes over uh, in the Temple of Enlightenment. Yeah, and, and, and it, looks and it seems weird. not intuitive at first, but boy, the triumphs have been awesome. You know, all the fat, all the like the glacial fortresses come into play untapped with them. Your castles come into play untapped with them. Uh, just just the fact that they're they're tri really true trilands. Um, I, 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 I'm a believer. I, I've been converted. Yeah, yeah. 
But I'm also just like, I realized I hadn't activated Castle Vantra, Castle Vantress once. I, I have not. I have broken many people's hearts with the White Castle. Oh no, I like the White Castle. I like the White Castle. I kind of want to. I, I, if, if the White Castle didn't have an awkward number of planes, I'd be looking at playing a second one. Right. But I don't think I want to cut a blue source, and I need to have four fields of ruin in my deck, so I think I'm stuck with one castle or in Vale. But yeah, I also probably actually why I think that the, the, the second fable passage should be the four fragment trium, right? Like I I hate fable passage in that deck. Yeah, it's just kind of awkward. It, it is. It is kind of awkward. Uh, I do love. I love the field of ruins. They've been fantastic. You have to have them. There's there's the actual yeah. like field of the dead out there. Like you just yeah. have to kill field of the dead, and you occasionally have to kill uh, the red castle as well. Yeah, and you you also sometimes just have to like. There's a couple times where I had to put an Eldrazi two cards down and then shuffle it away. <laughs> oh yeah, the four shuffle thing is awesome. The Teferi fives. So I, I definitely like. I discover. I rediscovered that in the middle of the game. It's like, wait, oh yeah, this is the thing I remember now. Yeah, yeah, I remember. yeah but. Uh, no, this deck, this deck has a lot of play. And then my sideboard right now, I mean, sideboard is where you get, where things diverge a bit more. I have three Grafdigger's Cages, up from one. I think that card is, I, I managed to lose a match to Cats and Ovens when I had complete control of the game. I just couldn't actually pick up the combo and the deck has no life gain in it. And I was like, this is not happening again. But also there's a pretty good uh, Luka deck. Right, I met a, a deck that like uses that and uh, Polymorph Effect, just like, Creative Behemoth into play. And, oh yeah, I, I like I've played a bunch of that deck, and I see no reason to let that deck in it, right? In any way, they can't really play <laughs> artifact removal. Like not really, and it only costs one mana. I like, just I want it, it, it. It's very very high leverage in the matchups where it's where it's good, so I just want it, and like you don't put it in against like you know just Titans. You just you put it in when you're being really serious about this, right? Uh, I have two Aether Gusts. The Aether Gusts main the, the, the sea effect, I don't, I don't understand it. Like, there's too many places it doesn't do anything. Uh, yeah. There's no need for that. Once you get rid of Teferi Master, fine. You have nothing to discard it to, buddy. This well, is, you've done this to yourself. <laughs> well, I, I guess so. I only, plus, if I only want two after board, why do I want one main? Like, it doesn't make yeah. sense to me, right? I'm not that desperate. Like, I like yeah. it. It's fine. Uh, I have two Essence Scatters, because you really need, I really want to make sure to reinforce having things to do on turn two against creatures. Uh, I have one search for Escanta. That's that's replacing the, the that's replacing the, the fourth Nar set at this point. It costs two mana instead of three, and I just I want more mana. I want more. I can just also just drawing Nar set into Nar set, having too many Nar sets is like definitely been annoying. I just having to worry about too many Nar sets. Like just this card is awkward. I can't back it up with counter spell because double blue uh, that kind of thing. Share, share your uh, share your list with me. I'll sure. put it I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, but I, I have groceries coming right now. So yeah. um, one of the other things that has evolved in this uh, new era is I, I don't leave the house for food. Um, so I've got some coming. But this has been Top 8 Magic. Zui Moshowitz, the Hall of Famer. Thank you so much, uh, as always, for uh, joining me. And we will uh, hopefully talk to you in a sooner span of time, shorter span of time than it's been since our last one. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you all soon. All right, bye.